Brought to you by CareFeed, Senior Community's central place for seamless communication and engagement with their residents, families, and staff. CareFeed's HIPAA Secure Communication Platform digitizes and automates antiquated processes like paper admission agreements, satisfaction surveys, and care notifications, and seamlessly distributes them via text, email, or voicemail. Learn more at carefeed.com. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older Podcast, where we interview experts on innovation in senior living and the business of aging well. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm so pleased to be here today with Michael Hebb, the founder of Death Over Dinner and Generations Over Dinner. Welcome to the program, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me, Nancy. Uh, well, thank you. Um, before we dig into the over dinners, tell us about your background. Let's see. Um, I'll try to keep it short because there's been a lot of chapters. Um, <laughs> I, I really started this work as an architect and studied classics and architecture and was working as an architect early in my career. And I focused on creating spaces for people to gather. I had developed this relatively deep understanding that that is one of the things that we yearn for more than anything else is human connection. And human connection happens generally in places where we gather, but we don't have very many of them. And so I started creating, designing, building with a partner at the time, Mark Lakeman. Um, we created a organization called Communitexture and the City Repair Project in Portland, where we were creating all kinds of gathering places that weren't mitigated by transactions. They were free spaces for people to come together and connect. And that was pretty extraordinary work. Um, I learned a lot, but I also learned that I didn't need to build anything for people to come together because we have this thing called the dinner table just sitting in most of our homes, collecting mail or a place for laptops or to <laughs> <laughs> record podcasts, et cetera. Um, and, and we've forgotten how to use it. It's almost like we forgot how to, you know, in the same way we forgot how to can and we forgot how to make sourdough, which we've been remembering recently. Um, we forgot how to gather together around the dinner table and have meaningful conversations. So I realized that I didn't have to be an architect in the traditional sense, that I could actually just focus on the dinner table and reinvent it, reinvigorate it, remind people of its past and think about what it could be for us in this culture that really needs connection. I mean, our civic fabric is quite torn, tattered, divided. And so we do need things like the dinner table to bring us back together. Well, I had my uh, stepdaughter and her husband over for dinner last night at the dinner table and I record in my closet. So I <laughs> get it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so tell us about um, Death Over Dinner and how did you come up with this idea? Yeah. And for those folks that are new to this idea of death over dinner, I'll give you just a little bit of the what it is, and then we could talk about how it came into being. So death over dinner is a global movement that started 10 years ago, um, and we put out an invitation plus a bunch of great materials, essentially dinner scripts for people. And the invitation was, we want you to talk about end of life. We want you to talk about this taboo topic of 
death and grief and, you know, what it means to get a life-limiting diagnosis, what it means to lose somebody, what it means to face our own mortality. And we put out this uh, very simple platform and it became a global phenomenon. And about a million people have sat down and had death dinners around the world and over the last 10 years. And the way it came together um, was really, as we were talking about before, I started to focus on the dinner table and I started to do a bunch of dinners on different topics. First, it was just about how do I get people back to the table and to share food and to share laughter and to share stories and to really share the human experience. And then I realized that it's a great place for specific conversations and for a little framework. And so I started to host dinners all over the world on a variety of topics, generally speaking, pretty hard hitting topics like why, you know, why do we fight? Um, can we end war? Can we end genocide? Um, what do we do about the fact that so many people are unhoused in our, in our world? And what about the gender gap? And what do we do about wealth disparity? And I was having these conversations with some pretty extraordinary leaders around the world, working with the Obama Foundation and the Clinton Global Initiative and the World Economic Forum and a long list of folks that were keen on bringing together leaders and were willing to let me ask the hard questions and you know have the difficult conversations. What we found is people from the right and from the left and the middle and whatever political identity they had, if you open a bottle of wine, broke a, you know, broke bread with them, um, or had a non-alcoholic beverage, and created a space for open conversation at the dinner table, a lot of the political things that divide us tended to go away. And so I realized that we were onto something. I mean, it's it's old. It's an old idea. It's been happening forever. And nonetheless, I wanted to move from this kind of rarefied air of bringing together presidents and Nobel Prize winners and really all kinds of folks, but it was one dinner after another, um, and I was hosting all of them, and I wanted to create something that was democratized and for everyone. And so we created Death Over Dinner as a, almost like a board game, if you will. It's like, here it is, you can pick it up and you can use it at your table and you're going to have a really meaningful, potentially transformative conversation um, over what would otherwise just been a regular Tuesday night. Um, so that's that's a little bit about what Death Over Dinner is. And it's been pretty extraordinary to watch it change a lot of the conversation or help change the conversation around end of life and really bring it to the front, front, front of the news section, front of mind in our culture. And it probably took you in, in a direction that you didn't expect. I mean, you've You've been at the forefront of the deaf wellness movement and um, your intention to start these conversations, maybe not where you intended. So <laughs> what what yeah. is it that you hope to accomplish with that movement? First thing that we hope to accomplish was just to increase the literacy around end of life and death. The thing is, because we don't talk about our mortality in our culture. We also don't even really talk about it in our places of worship and our religions as much as we used to. Um, I think that going back to the roots of all of these, um, all of all of the religions um, and wisdom traditions, talking about and facing our mortality is actually very central. And it it isn't anymore. And 
we have over-medicalized death and we've removed it from our experience. People, you know, used to have a much more visceral experience of, of, of losing the people around them. And we put it into this medical container. And one, one of the things that happens when we don't encounter it and we don't talk about it is that we are more anxious about it. And we don't create good plans for our end of life. And we don't share them. And so those around us don't know how to take care of us. They don't know how to honor our wishes because they haven't been spoken. And when we do die, they don't know how to you know, honor us when we're dead, which is a very important part of grieving, is knowing how to honor the wishes of somebody who has died. And when we don't have those clear instructions, we suffer. Um, we suffer financially. We suffer emotionally. And our family dynamic suffers significantly. And so we wanted to start to reverse that, give people an invitation to talk about this topic that we avoid, but an invitation that you're excited about. Because otherwise, the only person inviting you into that conversation is your lawyer or a, <laughs> you know, a doctor, an oncologist, an insurance agent. And they're also not trained in this conversation at all. And so they're not good at it. So, so let's let's break the taboo. Let's give people a beautiful experience to talk about this thing that defines us all. Um, and you know what what has been amazing and unexpected when we started the the project was the fact that when people face their mortality, when they face their death, when they talk about their grief, they get more life. They become more vital. It's the opposite of repression. It is this incredible vitality engine because it clarifies what's most important to you. So it's it's been pretty extraordinary. And you're right, I didn't know that I would be the, <laughs> the death guy, you know. It's, but it's an honor to be able to hold these conversations and to hold all of the space for people all over the world. It's been a pretty amazing 10 years. Well, for, for the senior living uh, industry, I'm hoping that this whole idea of death wellness will come more to the forefront because I think it's so integrally tied with ageism, really, because if we're afraid of aging, we are afraid of death. It's sort of the same thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what is what we would assume is those that are closest to death are um, more afraid of talking about it. That's a, like a cultural assumption that's just in the groundwater. It's not true. Um, as a generalization. Interesting. And, you know, those that are closer to death tend to be more willing to talk about it. Not everyone, okay? So you might have an example in your mind, like my grandfather, my father, my spouse, et cetera, mm -hmm. is absolutely against and opposed to this conversation. That might be true, or you might have asked in the wrong way, um, is yeah. one thing. And, and we assume as, you know, boomers, Gen Xers, even millennials, that those of us in our community that are older and closer just don't want to talk about it. And we don't want to bring it up, et cetera, but they're talking about it. They're thinking about it. Go to a, you know, a senior living or an assisted care facility and people, people are dying around them. My mom is in one right now and it's constant. And yeah. they, 
they do talk about them. I mean, my mom's bridge circle <laughs> talks about uh-huh. death, like, you know, like it's just the regular news and they have a very healthy relationship to it. I would say um, that's not always the case, but, but we have to stop assuming that people don't want to have this conversation and start honoring them with the opportunity to have it. Well, I think um, one of the key points that you said earlier was the idea of the right conversation. There's clearly a way to go about it. So you guys are the experts in conversation and Chip (laughs) Connolly is the modern elder. Uh, uh, So tell us about um, Generations Over Dinner. Yeah. So I I knew I wanted to spend a little bit of time thinking about something other than death. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. um, You know, you can stay in the temple, as they say, for too long. Um, And I I will always be doing a deep amount of work in the end of life space. It's, it's sacred to me and I will continue that work. But I, I was thinking to myself, who do I admire? Who would I really want to collaborate with? Who would potentially be a great mentor? Um, and I was pondering what was next. And the only person that came to mind was Chip Conley and just showed up in my, I was like, that's who you want to work with. That's who you're inspired by. And Chip had about a year before that asked me to come and be a guest faculty member at the Modern Elder Academy. And for those of you listening, um, I will be teaching at Modern Elder Academy with Chip October 23rd through 30th, um, a course called Love, Death, and Human Connection, um, which I'm excited about. But we planned this a long time ago, um, this course, and COVID got in the way, and we pushed it on down. But nonetheless, I was thinking, okay, how? what would be the best way to work with Chip and the Modern Elder Academy? And I became really clear to me that they have all of these extraordinary ideas that they're working with. Like, let's think about middle life or midlife. Let's think about what we want to do with the rest of our life. Let's think about what it means to be an elder. Let's think about intergenerational connections. And and then there is um, a, you know, a campus in Baja and a campus about Atopan in Santa Fe, but not everyone's going to go there. You know, they can't accommodate the whole world. So I was like, hey, Chip, let's talk about taking some of your extraordinary ideas and figuring out a way that people can participate in them around the world for free. And we started taking long walks, having a bunch of long talks, and included the leader and founder of, or now co-CEO of Encore, Mark Friedman, in that conversation, and the folks from Stanford Center on Longevity, Martha DV and Laura Carsonson. And all of a sudden, we had this incredible, you know, think tank, if you will, sudden think tank of the leaders or some of the leaders in the aging space. And we came up with this idea that how do we, you know, how do we combat or how do we alleviate ageism? And it it became clear that we don't really want to talk about ageism for this project. We just want to create a world that is the world we want to live in, which is a world where generations, the older and the younger, come together and they share wisdom and um, they share wisdom with each other and they share life lessons. And and all of a sudden you have elders in that setting, right? Because 
an elder needs a place to be an elder, and they're not an elder if they're not talking to somebody who's older or younger than them, a different right. stage of life. And so Makes it's like, sense. oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the solution to the problem is just to create the world in the way that we'd like to see it. And that's generations over dinner. And so we're like, let's create this challenge. You know, we've been in isolation for the last three years. We've been in isolation as a culture more than we should be for a very long time. Why don't we break through that isolation and give everyone an antidote, or, you know, to an antidote, not an anecdote, um, to come together and invite as many different generations as they possibly can to the dinner table. And when we when we formulate it as a challenge, the generation's challenge, we realize that people are immediately going to think to themselves, "How do, do I know somebody who is in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe even hundreds? Do I know somebody who's 20, 30, 40 that I know well enough to invite to dinner? And is my life age diverse? Why or why not? Um, and then when you do put those people at the table, when you do put a great deal of age diversity together and ask them important questions, it's it's magic. It really is. It's profound. So talk to us a little about the types of conversations that you hope the table will have. Yeah. So we take a, the guesswork out of that because it, it is more than just an invitation and a challenge. It's all of the framework you need to have the experience. So we've created dinner scripts um, so that there is no no guesswork. Um, and those scripts, we're starting with nine scripts. So you get to choose. You got to do a little bit of a choose your own adventure. First, you're like, hey, I want to do that. I want to have a dinner or I want to participate in a dinner. And then you're like, well, let's pick a topic. And there are three topics, love and relationships, purpose, and the future are where we've started. And each of those topics has three different scripts with a different subtopic, a different spin. Like in purpose, you can talk about wisdom or you can talk about money um, because money, unfortunately, has been tied to purpose in our culture. But very <laughs> rich, very rich topic um, to dive into because a uh -huh. lot of yeah, exactly. No pun but, intended. <laughs> no, fully intended. Um, but nonetheless, um, so the topics are there, um, the scripts are there, and once you sit down at the table, I mean, we're not going to go into your house and roast chicken for you, but we have given you everything else you need to know. When you sit down to the table, you follow the script, and it, it starts with honoring a, a generational ancestor, somebody who has died, taking a cue from death over dinner is a really powerful thing to do with um, multiple generations and to give a little eulogy for someone you've lost. And then it goes into questions that are based on the specific topic you chose. And those questions are not about having a debate around any of the political issues of the day. Um, they're really about your, your deepest gift, which is your, your experience and the stories and who, you know, what made you who you are and what you've learned um, about being alive. And when you have an 80-year-old sharing that with a 17-year-old and a 17-year-old sharing that with an 80-year-old, which I experienced just the other night, um, you see something. You see, well, well, for one thing, you actually experience hope 
um, you experience hope for the future because it's pretty hard to ge- be, you know, a little bit down on the way that things look right now. And, and the, the future is uncertain, but when you see a, a generational connection across that whole ocean of time happen in front of you or with you, or it's you yourself that it's happening to, you get a sense that we could make this work on this crazy planet, you know, floating through space. (laughs) You're so inspiring. So uh, I just love what you're saying. And these stories, as they come out, I I actually signed up. Um, Some of my closest friends are in their 80s here. So I'm hoping in Oregon to get something going pretty quickly. Senior living communities could really jump on this and and i know i i gave you that question in advance so i'm going to throw that your way how, how can they participate yeah so senior living communities um love programs i mean they have to they program things all the time they need activities they need to keep people engaged um and curious and active and the nice thing about this program is that it's fully baked it's ready as they say it's turnkey um, and it's, it has that other great, um, you know, <laughs> quality that we're always looking for. It's free. <laughs> so, yeah. It's and and we can create. So say you're, you know, um, shady hollow senior living. We'll just make up a name I, that might exist. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we can give you uh, a um, a part of the platform just for your for your community um that's secure and um you can invite the community can invite the kids the grandkids friends etc you're already doing dinners um you already have meal times and people love an opportunity to reach out and bring in family and friends that aren't part of the community that interaction is key so that it's not just hanging out with the folks that are living together but bringing in people from outside the the um these centers and these homes and these residences and so it offers that um and the conversations you know you're going to hear laughter there's going to be some you know sweet tears there's going to be new connections um and a whole lot of deep engagement so i would say to any senior living or even assisted care facility um which i think it does apply to um reach out and we'll give you exactly what you need. Or if you're a self-starter, you can do what you did, which is just join the community and start planning dinners. And you can create them that are totally private, or you can create ones that are public or public to just the people that you share a link to. Um, so there's there's a lot of options just built in right off the shelf. And if somebody wants to get programmatically really serious about this, they can reach out to us and we'll help them make it um, a really exciting part of their community. That sounds fabulous. And and like you said, there's so many ways to participate and I can see it just having so much great positive word of mouth of people talking about their event. You know, usually there's private dining areas too, where you could have some more private conversations and deeper conversations uh, because mealtime really um, is the highlight. I hate, you know, I hate to say it oftentimes the highlight of the day. Of course, you know, my mom spends half her day getting ready for dinner. 
<laughs> she really does. And, you know, she invited me in for kind of ad hoc generations over dinner um, the other day at, um, at she lives at the, the Springs in Lake Oswego. Um, so in Oregon. Um, oh, and, okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, she, she brought together all of her favorite people to meet me. And there was a couple of the, the kids there and the stories that were told because I was asking some of the questions that I had in my back pocket and these red, you know, these people that have been living together for the last few years um, who quote unquote share about each other's lives deeply learn so much about each other with just the, you know, um, me bringing a few of, of these questions to it. So they, they were excited. Um, so I, I know it works. Um, yeah. And, and that 80 year old, I'll tell you a little bit more about the 80 year old and the 17 year old. Cause I think it's a beautiful little anecdote. Um, so we're sitting at a, t um, a Generations Over Dinner. The first Generations Over Dinner in-person event um, we've ever hosted was um, a couple weeks ago in LA. And I'm sitting at the table with an 80-year-old named Pat who is talking about, the answer is, what is the greatest technological, technological innovation of your, of, our, of, the, of your life and how did it impact you? Um, and um, Pat is the 80 year old from Texas who's talking about his, his motorcycles um, and how much joy his motorcycles over his la over 62 years of riding them have given him um, and the work that he does on them and the freedom that he experiences and being very poetic about it and philosophical about it. And the 17 year old has these huge eyes wide as can be like clearly intrigued. And the 17 year old, is a prodigy in the world of astrophysics, like literally already um, graduate school in Harvard, um, wow. writing papers on astrophysics. And he's talking about um, gravitational forces and Einstein's theory and how they were actually able to, for the first time in the history um, of Einstein's theory, being able to detect them during his lifetime. You know, this is a 17 year old. And that, you know, and he's, he is so fired up. And you see Pat, the 80 year old, his eyes are now wide. And Pat turns to him and says, will you teach me about astrophysics to the 17-year-old? The 17-year-old, absolutely. And he says, 17-year-old says to Pat, would you teach me how to ride a motorcycle? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And it happened. And then I could hear the, like, I could see the 17-year-old's father turn from the other table and look at me like he wanted me dead. <laughs> 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 just brought you know um uh, the 1960s and um you know uh the, the beat and 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 dangerous things like motorcycles into his prodigy's life <laughs> so. that's the best story ever i love that um and i i can sense how excited you are about generations over dinner is this what gets you most excited or you have something else you want to share no, absolutely. I mean, we literally just put this out into the world a couple of days ago, and there yeah. are already hundreds of people in the community. Um, you do have to say you have to do request to join, which takes just a second, and we let everyone who requests in. But we decided to keep it somewhat a gated community, just so we could moderate it and make sure because it is in beta. Um, we are testing it, so people can give us feedback and say this didn't work, or I'd like more of this, etc. If you look at that community board, there are hundreds of people being like, hey, 
I want to host a dinner and I'm going to host a dinner in Melbourne, Australia. I'm going to host a dinner in, you know, in South Africa. I'm going to host a dinner in Charleston. Someone else being like, I'm in Charleston. Let's host dinner together. They don't know each other. Um, And so (laughs) you've got this amazing thing happening already, which is just going to have a multiple Player effective than people inviting folks that aren't already on the platform on. Um, so I, I'm thrilled. I mean, when you dream up an idea and then you watch when people get it immediately and then they take action, I mean, that's pretty much um, as exciting as it gets. Well, you're certainly not new to that, Michael. It's uh, you've done you've done a lot of that. But what gets me so excited and and why I'm so happy Chip put us in touch so quickly is that loneliness is such a key issue in senior living. And um, and when I do more research on it, that it, it actually is toxic and it yeah. grows and it's like a bad apple. In, in a way. Yeah. So that, you know, this is, I, I was thinking, as you were saying that people are getting together in Charleston, that different, um, different families within the community could share dinners because they have different generations that come visit. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a thing to note. We're not, so generations over dinner is not just about your family generations, your grandparents, your great grandparents, but it's about the generations that, you know, we identify with Gen X, Boomer, um, Y, Z. So some people will be bringing families together and some people will be bringing, um, you know, just friends and some people, strangers, like the 80-year-old and the 17-year-old. They didn't know each other at all before that dinner. And they probably wouldn't have connected at just a regular dinner party. Um, and and to the point of loneliness, because I just want to speak on that, um, loneliness is not alleviated by having more conversation. It's not, it's not alleviated by being around more people. Um, loneliness is only alleviated by having high-quality conversations and having a real connection. And that is not something that our society asks us to do, gives us opportunity to do. We may have deep conversation with our therapist, but we're paying them. Where do we have deep conversations in our lives with our friends, our family, and our community? And who's the blamable third party that can give us a little nudge, give us some of the framework? And that's that's us. That's we're one of the people in that case. And so, it 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 really a, a lot of, I think a lot of the work around loneliness is kind of misguided in the fact that it it really has to be focused on high quality conversations and deep connection. And that comes actually through being vulnerable and asking hard questions, things that we actually really do want to talk about, but might, the idea of it might be like a little like um, jilting. <laughs> well, and that authenticity can't be faked and it cannot be really implemented in an institutional kind of environment. Yeah, it can be a, I mean, it can be a sudden institution like ours where we we have our only goal is human connection across generations. There's no other agenda. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things with our institutions these days. We don't trust them because we don't know what agendas they have. And so ours is very, very simple um, and and joyful, um, but also, you know, quite serious. It's um, It's a serious thing to want to make sure that the wisdom from a different time um, 
is lands in in the moment. I mean, I watch my 13-year-old daughter sit at a table um, on Saturday with an 89-year-old, who happened to be a quite well-known 89-year-old, Tom Skerritt, the actor, um, famous for A River Runs Through It and Steel Magnolias and the like. And um, Donald Byrd, a 70-year-old who um, choreographed The Color Purple on Broadway and won a Tony. Um, an Afrofuturist, Charles Madede, very serious intellectual um, and journalist and um, an incredible activist in her 30, 30s, Monica Guzman, who has a new um, extraordinary New York Times bestselling book out about talking across the political divide. And so this like pretty intense table of you know, heavyweights and my 13-year-old. And she was not only just taking it in, but had that audience captivated when she was talking about her experience. And I also felt like she got this opportunity to time travel. Like Tom Skerritt's talking about the first time he saw Charlie Parker live and in person in Detroit and how jazz changed his life. Um, and, you know, like with such great, storytelling and then charles's stories about his mom and growing up in zimbabwe and we really went all over the world and back through time um across generations and everybody left completely fired up even though we were in a kind of cold outdoor table <laughs> for hours <laughs> wow yeah i mean it really is going to be powerful for the senior living industry listeners out there Get on board with Generations Over Dinner. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. Of course. My pleasure and honor. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. Podcast.